0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back for another week of Podsylvania. This is Patrick Wilson. I'm joined by my co-hosts, John Stump. Hey. And Tyler Noon.
1: Hey, how you doing?
0: Thanks, fellas. So this week, we're going to be talking about uh, Jerry Sandusky, Joe Paterno, and Penn State University. So we want to start off by saying uh, we know that this is a sensitive topic, so we're going to do our best to cover this in a respectful manner. And please just keep in mind that any of the opinions that we share on today's episode are just that. there are opinions. Uh, they're not to be taken as fact, and uh, please take them, um, you know, as they come. We, we don't mean to offend anyone. With that being said, let's get started. Uh, I want to talk a, a little bit about some of the research that we did before we dive into the facts of today's episode. Um, most of the information today is taken from uh, the book Paterno. By Joe Poznaski. Sorry Joe if I uh, messed up that name. Um, Also from the HBO film Paterno starring Al Pacino and from several articles that uh, I have read in The Collegian, The Patriot News, New York Times, The USA Today um, along with I'm sure other uh, editorials and uh, several news programs that we've seen from uh, 2011 and 2012. I also was a student at Penn State for four years, living on main campus, pursuing a bachelor's degree uh, from 2008 to 2012. So I was a senior when news of this broke, and uh, I lived through it and was there on campus the day Joe Paterno was fired, um, when it first hit headlines, so on and so forth. So I can provide some firsthand uh, accounts of how it impacted the student body and the school itself. Um, Tyler, I know you also have uh, some
1: unique qualifications.
0: You want to tell us about those a little bit?
1: Uh, Yeah, so uh, for the past four years, uh, I worked as uh, administrative assistant. So I was assistant to the head of a child welfare agency uh, in Dauphin County in Harrisburg, PA. So um, some of my experience was I would attend meetings with our administrator Um, uh, advocating with uh, congressmen for more funding. Um, And I'll get into it a little bit later, but um, basically uh, the result of Jerry Sandusky's convictions resulted in a lot of regulations and uh, with that required more funding. And so that's what we were advocating for. So I'll, I'll get into that later as well as other legislation. Awesome. Thanks, Tyler. And John, I know you saw the movie
0: Paterno Um, And I know you've seen news programs and read some articles. Uh, Is there anything else that you know about um, the scandal that broke? I know this week you're going to provide your opinion on the film and also learn along with the listeners. We talk about this stuff and kind of uh, provide
2: an as it comes reaction and response to some of the material that we're going to provide. Yeah, I have some, uh, you know, just the general background that we all kind of had from watching the news back in uh, 2011 when this happened. But uh, I I didn't grow up in a uh, Penn State household like uh, you did, Pat. So I didn't have uh, that kind of, I could kind of look at it from an outsider's perspective. Um, and I was, me and Tyler were both in college at the time uh, as well. We were at Pitt. And even just being in a... On a college campus in Pennsylvania at this time, um, I think I still got some of the experience, obviously not being in uh, the same as being in state college, but it was, you know, P- Penn State runs deep throughout this our state. and there were a lot of people there that you know had personal ties to that. So it was it was still that kind of not the full-on experience that you had, but still something uh, unique.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like um, we we had some rivalries with Penn State, but despite that rivalry, like everyone liked Joe Pa, like everyone kind of revered Joe Pa. Despite anything, any rivalry, anything, like he definitely was um above any type, above the fray in any way. He kind of was uh, this figure that was universally respected around PA. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Tyler. And uh, you know, we'll get into a little bit about how that impacted um, students' perception of what happened, and, and Joe Paw's role, and then the state and the nation, and even the world's perspective of Joe Paw's involvement, um, and and how um, everyone reacted to to the news of this breaking. Um, so, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Uh, let's dive right into it. So. Gerald Arthur Sandusky or Jerry Sandusky, as, um, you know, everyone infamously knows his name now, was born in 1944, the only son of Evelyn and Arthur Sandusky. Um, He grew up in Pennsylvania and and spent his whole life here. One interesting tidbit that I found out about Jerry that I think is important um, to keep in mind throughout this episode was that as a child, he set his own code or set of rules you can think of it as he called it Jer's law and it allowed him to be mischievous it allowed him to experiment and explore uh with the uh, only exception being that uh, nobody was allowed to be intentionally hurt and that he promised to be respectful to adults and never lie when questioned about breaking any rules which um You know, I think uh, it should have carried that one into adulthood, but we'll talk about that when we get into opinions. But I thought that was interesting to bring up. Um, It adds a little insight into the mindset of Jerry
2: Sandusky. Uh, I agree with that, Pat. Um, uh, Me and Pat like uh, a lot of serial killer stuff, and I saw that, and that kind of reminded me of, you know, if you read about the lives of serial killers at a young age, they kind of come up with a separate set of rules to live their life by um, that don't necessarily mesh up with what the rest of society feels. And then, you know, they kind of have those rules in place and they, that that's how they make allowances to themselves to do these such heinous acts. Yeah. You're spot on, John. It
0: reminds me a lot of like infinity land for Jeffrey Dahmer, um, yes. you know, creating a separate world that like you said, allows them, to do these things um, and and, and justify it through their own moral code. So, yeah, like I said, I thought that was a unique uh, little tidbit to bring up. So Jerry, uh, like I said, spent his whole life in Pennsylvania, um, even attended Penn state where he uh, played football. He was a D end on the Penn state football team. And in 1966, he got married uh, to Dorothy, known as Dottie Sandusky. And together, uh, the two adopted six kids, along with fostering several others throughout their marriage, uh, right up, I believe, until the time of his incarceration in 2011. So Jerry made a name for himself through Penn State football. Uh, He was an assistant coach under Joe Paterno, and I think spent the, the most... A Prominent portion of his career as the defensive coordinator, eventually leading the Nittany Lions to the Alamo Bowl in uh, 1999 against Texas A&M, uh, after which he ultimately retired. Um, but Jerry is a large part of Penn State football. He alone is responsible for Penn State receiving the moniker Linebacker U, Um he was uh, he, too, was revered for his football knowledge and for his ability um, to coach young men to victory. So I think that's uh, important to, to note as well. You know, Jerry Sandusky during his coaching career was an idol for many. Um, he was one of the greatest defensive coordinators of the time and, uh, you know, led, led Penn State to, to many victories and helped to uh, drive success for them. So uh, after he retired in 1999, after a 24 and 0 win over Texas A&M at the Alamo Bowl, Jerry got a unique uh, retirement package, to say the least. So along with um, some payment, uh, I can't recall exactly what it was. I know it was at least six figures. Um, Jerry also demanded season tickets for uh, his lifetime to the Penn State football games for both himself and for the second mile, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, And he also uh, demanded lifetime access to the recreational facilities and the sports training facilities at Penn State, uh, which we'll come to find uh, really aided and abetted in the crimes that he would commit. So that's, uh, you know, something that you don't
2: see all the time. Um, I thought that that aspect of his uh, retirement plan kind of spoke to what Penn State like thought of him and what they thought that he owed him. It's like, well, if he wants it, I guess we got to give it to him. Like, that's not something you see. Like, people don't retire from like UPS and like come back 10 years later and be like, well, want to sort some packages for you. Like, that doesn't happen. And I would have found that uh, if I was, I don't know, like an outside party looking at that and be like, well, why is this guy, why does he need this? No, you're absolutely right, John. And so it does, it speaks to what Penn State thought they owed him, right?
0: I mean, he was such a great defensive coordinator. He was so critical to the development of Penn State football as his national icon, and it is a national icon, that they, they felt they had to give him these things. And it's even more a part of, the mask that these predators put on Um, you know, the way that they twist people without the, the individuals even knowing it to meet their needs. Um, So that is, you know, it all, it all factors into it.
1: Well, to add on a little bit here. um, So if you're a predator of some sort uh, you, what you need to do is you tend to find what is easy prey and, um, what the second, second city, not second city, sorry, that's a- improv. <laughs> um, sorry, quite Gr- different thing. Great improv. Here. I
2: don't want them to be uh, associated with this story. Yeah. Yeah. Let's leave them out of it.
1: Yeah. Um, but yes, what, what, it, what second mile provided was basically it was a buffet because um, when you have disadvantaged youth and at risk youth, they're usually, they don't behave well. A lot of them are serial liars. So, uh, and they don't have parents to protect them or they don't have dependable uh, guardians to protect them. Uh, a lot of times they don't trust their own guardians enough to tell them if something bad were to happen to them. So basically it was a feast for the crows, essentially for Jerry. He kind of could have his pick of the litter of these kids. Um, and so that kind of shows uh, how much, Uh, he probably put into um, uh, starting an organization like this his kind of evil intentions with it.
2: Well, well, it's just just to bring back the serial killer thing, it's like you're living your life to satisfy this one fucked up drive and you kind of put that framework around to um, make that happen and very successful at it yeah
0: you're absolutely right john you're absolutely right so for those of you who don't know the second mile was a charity program founded by sandusky uh that focused on helping disadvantaged and at risk youth in pennsylvania and it wasn't just a charity program it was a hugely popular charity program i mean it was racking in millions of dollars it was recognized nationally george w bush himself uh, was quoted as calling the second mile a shining example of charity work um, so Sandusky went above and beyond even just becoming like this pillar of philanthropy in uh, you know his little area um, he was a pillar of uh, philanthropy statewide and nationwide you know just helping to build that uh, build up that that mask that costume needed to really be the predator that he was and you'll see you know his involvement in these charities went so far in uh, you know his i don't want to say not being prosecuted but but when children would bring up you know hey jerry did something you know not cool they'd say it to a teacher they'd say it to a parent they'd say it to a friend's parent oftentimes they get responses like are you sure or why don't you think about that again go home and sleep on it You know, he was attempted to be tried multiple times and uh, was denied um, prosecution. You know, judges would deny uh, prosecuting him. Attorneys would deny prosecuting him all because he had built himself up as this, um, you know, uh, selfless, caring, giving man uh, who, who wanted nothing but to help you. So to be accused of such heinous crimes uh, people not only didn't believe it, they detested the fact that people would even uh, suggest that he would be involved with that. So, uh, you know, and, his uh, organi- say, sorry, go ahead, Tom.
1: And and let, let's say a hard truth here. Um, his organization helped thousands of kids. Absolutely. Like his, his organization did a lot of good. I mean, you have to acknowledge that. And that's part of the reason why he had so many people willing to protect him because they saw uh one or two um people who are making these accusations as troublemakers and they're trying to bring down this brilliant man that is doing so much good and there's a lot of people a lot of kids that were in the organization that um were it helped them a whole lot so you know you can't the world isn't black and white now while he is a monster Uh, this monster in order to create his buffet line um, incidentally helped a lot of kids as well. And it fueled what was uh, um, the support that he had later on and protection that uh, was the complicity in his crimes.
0: Yeah, that's a great point, Tyler. And just to put some numbers around it, you know, to, to back Tyler up on this, the second mile on average on an annual basis brought in over $3 million in uh, donations or through fundraisers and helped annually around 100,000 kids. So when Tyler says, you know, one or two kids are viewed as troublemakers, you're you're talking about one or two kids who are making these accusations, who are disadvantaged and at risk used already who are often not believed, you know, out of 100,000 kids that got helped. So you could see how they'd look and go, well, this kid lies about stuff all the time. Why would he be telling the truth now, especially about a man who has done so much to help children? So that's a great point, Tyler. I'm really glad you brought that up because it's not black and white. And I think it's important to remember that this did a lot of good for a lot of kids.
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah, I would agree. And um, just to kind of correct, like, I mean, it was a couple kids here and there, and over time it built up to be a lot of kids. And those are the only—we're only talking about the kids that came forward. Who knows how many more and more kids didn't come forward? But still, in comparison to the amount of kids in the whole thing, um, it's easy for um, the powers that be to look at it, look at it as a couple troublemakers.
0: You're absolutely right, and I don't think we've said it up until this point, at least explicitly. So Jerry
1: Sandusky uh,
0: was accused and convicted uh, several counts of child molestation, child rape, uh, endangering the welfare of a child and and a number of other abuse crimes. He was a serial pedophile. He was a bad, bad man. Um, and there was a number of things that, uh, you know, kind of led up to this ultimate conviction. You know, we talked about uh, people coming forward and kind of being denied. I mean, People tried to bring charges against him from 1998 and on. People were mentioning this kind of stuff. Um, and so it was no secret, I guess, amongst a group of people that Jerry Sandusky was a pedophile and was a predator. But to the the greater population, he was a hero. Um, so we could talk a little bit about about some of the things that he was accused of and some of the people who helped kind of bring this to light. Um, so really I'll say, and this is just my opinion. Uh, I'll say the guy who kind of ultimately brought it to light and broke the whole thing is Mike McQueary. He was an assistant coach on the Penn state football team who, uh, ultimately reported to Joe Paterno that, uh, he had seen Jerry Sandusky engaged in, um, illicit and explicit acts with a 10 year old boy on the campus locker room. Now, I don't want to say that he said uh, he saw him raping him or abusing him because we don't know exactly what Mike McQuarrie told Joe pop. But I think we could all agree that Mike McQuarrie came to Joe Paw, shook it up and said, he saw something that didn't look right. So that was actually the, it was the day after I believe that, um, he told Joe Pa. So after he first saw it, McQuarrie went home and he told his dad about it. So we're talking about a guy. He's a grown man here. I believe he's 28 years old. So he's actually my age. Um, he's a grown man. He went home and he told his dad. He said, hey, man, you know, I saw I saw Jerry doing something that I think is wrong in the locker rooms. What do I do? Uh, And most of us would say immediately, you know, why does he even have to ask you tell someone right away? And while I agree, I wholeheartedly agree. I think we also have to keep in mind that again, this is Jerry Sandusky. This is a legend in Pennsylvania. This is a guy who has done so much. And it's also um, someone who was a personal friend of Joe Paz. So you're working as a direct report to a personal friend of the guy. You're going to make these accusations against. So it's a complicated situation, I'm not saying that he shouldn't have ultimately reported it and went straight to the cops or whatever. But we have to keep in mind that, that these things are hairy. It's not black and white. It's, it's really gray.
2: Um, so I just wanted to add that it, little commentary there. And I think, um, and, and this is something we'll, I think we'll get into uh, more later, is uh, once you uh, bring McQuarrie into the story, it really begins to you talk about culpability and who was you know who knew what and when did they say something or didn't say something and i think the real the takeaway from a lot of this is a lot of people missed it and a lot of people did that didn't do things that they should have done um and when i was uh watching the Paterno movie, and, you know, they, they bring this up. It's like, well, why didn't McQueary say anything to anybody? And I kind of had the thought of, like, while, you know, child molestation is as bad as a murder, do you, like, report it the same way? Like, do, do you call, do people call 911 all the time, being like, hey, I just saw someone getting molested, like you were with, like, a robbery or something? Yeah. So, I, I think when you kind of talk about this stuff it's just like well people didn't know how to react and didn't know and they thought kind of what they were doing was right and it obviously wasn't you're absolutely right john i think that's that's another great
0: point right so we could sit here and and you twenty hindsight to say yeah man this is exactly what he should have done he should have gone right to the cops blah 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 But that's a valid point. How often do you get 911 calls of people saying, oh, I saw this kid being molested? No, it's reported entirely differently. And people often don't know how to react. You don't know what to do when you see something like that. I certainly wouldn't. I mean, you see that happen. And I think I would be just stunned and shocked for a minute. What the hell is even going on? And I think you immediately kind of take stock of the situation you know it's, a lot of people i think would just remove themselves from it everyone wants to be a hero in their own mind y'all want to say i'd run in there i'd bust that shit up but would you i don't I don't know would you just would you just move yourself from it would you go talk to your dad you know you, you don't know what did the president know and when did he know it
1: john you know that's right that's right well that's i mean I if it works for watergate it works for us sorry i think that's going to be our our big debate then uh kind of at the end do we want to kind of uh continue on to see like what what he was charged with what he got sentenced for stuff like that because yeah uh, i think
0: i think that's a good idea tyler thanks for keeping us on track there this is a passionate topic for all of us and uh, we can get um caught up in it sometimes so yeah the the conviction on june 22nd of 2012 Jerry Sandusky was convicted, finally, of um, eight counts of involuntary deviant sexual intercourse, rape, seven counts of indecent assault, one count of criminal intent to commit indecent assault, nine counts of unlawful contact with minors, ten counts of corruption of minors, ten counts of endangering the welfare of children. And he was ultimately sentenced to 60 years in prison, serving part of that at uh, PA's Supermax uh, SCI, State Correctional Institution, in Green. Uh, And today he is uh, living out his sentence in uh, Somerset State Prison, which is um, a lesser security prison. Um, And he remains in private custody there today. So uh, after many attempts, he was finally brought down. And uh, was doled out the sentence that some of us would say he deserved. Others would argue that uh, he deserved much more. But nonetheless, at the end of the day, uh, this monster is finally behind bars.
1: Well, let's uh, let's translate that a little bit for uh, the audience as to what that means. So you had all those numbers, and none of it went over ten. So basically, there were ten children that he fucked, or at least diddled in some. <laughs> way. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's not sure about it. There's yeah. at least ten. And they only could really prove about like seven or eight of them as far as like that was like rape. And then the rest of them, they had enough that they could legally prove that he had done something that was really wrong.
0: That over the pants
1: hand um, job, yeah. And basically, he's an old man. So they really only wanted to get a. They, their goal was really to get something like a solid 50 years so that they definitely knew it would be in prison until he died. And so he he basically, about an hour down the road, probably, um, probably I mean, uh, prisons for child rapists aren't very good. So um, he's probably in no, no. a great situation. Um, and I don't want to say that I support that, um, but... I will. I'll the, say I'll support it. When you have characters like this, when you have a bad prison system, you're kind of like, yeah, you feel a lot of vengeance and stuff. Um, and maybe for uh, a podcast another day we can talk about it. But um, its I, I think it's safe to say that he's just a mile down the road. I mean, uh, sorry, an hour down the road from me. Probably He probably entered in as a tight end, and he's probably a wide receiver now. That's all that I'm saying. <laughs>
0: Well put, yeah. Child uh, child molesters are certainly the lowest of the low on the totem pole of uh, prisons. They uh, yeah, he, they he often are kept be in private uh, custody so that they don't get the shiv they deserve.
2: He definitely needs to uh, be in that, or he would definitely get uh, dommered Yeah, so uh, for sure. Bash his brains in with a weight. <laughs> yeah, we can only
0: hope. <laughs> But anyway, so all of this, we've talked about Jerry Sandusky so far, um, but his crimes were much further reaching than just the kids that he impacted um, and, and himself. And I don't want to say just the kids, right? I don't want to downplay, um, you know, the horror that they had to experience from this creepy old bastard pulling his wrinkly old white fucking pale dick out. It just, it's horrific. I don't even want to think about it, but. It impacted a lot more than just those kids, right? Wait, this shaped uh, the views of an entire university, uh, of a university that has an alumni network that is worldwide. I mean, it is global. Penn State, just to give you some perspective, has an average undergraduate student body at main campus alone of over forty thousand kids. So every year. About 10,000 kids from main campus alone graduated from Penn State. So you can imagine how many people um, were impacted by by news of this breaking. And obviously, when this did happen, uh, knowing that it happened on Penn State's campus, knowing that it was someone who was so involved with Penn State's football program, uh, that was so involved with the second mile, heads had to roll immediately. Somebody had to be hung for this. And uh, as we would find out, Joe Paterno would be one of the guys to go down along with several others who, uh, as John hinted to earlier, you know, may have known something. We don't know when they knew it. And we'll talk about culpability a little bit later. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, somebody had to be put on the chopping block. So Joe Paterno was it. He was a figurehead. And uh, I, when I say figurehead, for anyone who's not from Pennsylvania, I don't know that you could fully grasp the, the godlike status that Joe Paterno had. I am a lifelong Penn State fan, and I spent 21 years, almost 22 years, looking up to Joe Paterno as the role model of class and character and manliness and what it meant to be a man. And when I say manliness, I don't mean bravado and, you know, big barrel chested. I meant he was focused. He respected individuals. He prided himself on his education. He prided himself on his his graduation rate for his students. They were student athletes. You'd hear a lot of times, Joe say, they're student athletes and student comes first for a reason. He knew these kids were more than just football players that at the end of the day, they were going to have to go on in many would live lives that didn't revolve around football and Joe Paterno was a hero to so many people myself included um, and, and I think still is and should be because what happened here really is a shame um, but I don't think we should take away the good that Joe Pat did for so many other people um, and I think it's important to, to just talk about what an idol Joe Paul was in PA okay. before we get
1: into how it impacted us. Yeah. So can I interject a little bit? So, uh, I'm glad that you're, you're touching about how, um, sorry, I shouldn't use touching. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Phrasing. Phrasing. I know. Sorry, John. Um, words are important. I mean, <laughs> what what we, uh, used to know is Burma is now Myanmar. So, uh, <laughs> words are important, but, uh, I just want to point out, like, my dad, like, he kind of was annoyed by Penn State. It was always in the, the media and stuff, and he never really cheered for him. And I, I witnessed that growing up. It wasn't a Penn State house. But, like, my dad revered Joe Pa as well. And I just remember him, like, saying, like, oh, Joe Pa is such a great guy. He focuses on education. And, like, I remember, like, watching NFL Countdown and NFL uh, Primetime and, like, Chris Berman is like, uh, blah, blah blah, guy coming out of Penn State. Homer Joe Paterno. I'm and like talking about Joe Paterno for some reason on an NFL show. Just like, yeah. Um, so we we all know that you know Pat, uh, Pat uh, grew up loving this guy, but like even not Penn State people like this guy. Like he just was a good dude, and uh, um, we can get into legacy and all of that. But um, no matter what. <laughs> If you do certain bad things in your life, you all, there is nuance in life. You can do really good things and also do things that aren't as good. And so the amount of good that he did um, uh, made him like this revered character. I don't know, John, what was your experience growing up?
2: Uh, well, like I said earlier, we were uh, decidedly a not Penn State house. Um, and growing up, I never... Really had an interest in it. Like people always talk about, oh, when's Penn State game? I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Um, but you can't, you can't deny what Joe Paterno is, um, what he's done, uh, or what he did at that uh, school, and made it from, you know, this small farm thing into. This huge university system that we know it as today, mm-hmm. yeah, that
1: runs through its football program. Like the amount of funding that comes from, you know, its football program can't be overstated. Really, um, like, wouldn't you agree, Pat? Like, uh, oh, absolutely.
0: I mean, you're talking billions of dollars. Beaver Stadium is second only to the cesspool of the West Michigan university in Ann Arbor uh, in the, the stadium seat count. So Penn state's got 107,000 and some change seats at Beaver stadium that they fill up almost every game at 55 bucks a ticket. And that's in ticket sales alone. And then you're talking jerseys and food and all that. I mean, billions and billions of dollars are brought into this school. Through football, which we could talk about at a, uh, on another podcast, because I think that's a whole nother issue with the NCAA and their players. But, um, I mean, he was, you know, like you said, Johnny took it from a farm school to this nationally recognized powerhouse. And in doing so, he donated a lot of his own money to the university to continue advancing it. Uh, he spent several million dollars building a library, Paterno Library, and, and that's a foundation, a cornerstone of Penn State's campus.
1: And uh, just to just to add on my my point was not only was he did like John said like helped create it not only was he the face and like kind of the brand of the school he was the wallet he was the the money he was the funding for a lot of things so so much relied on what Joe Pa was so um, I think we I think we kind of definitely uh, described his importance to the school so. Um, Basically, um, the, the, the conversation around uh, uh, Pa and Penn State, uh, it basically came down to what, um, like, heads rolling. I want, I want you to go back to that, Pat, because it, it, it's my opinion that uh, when something so terrible like this happened, that people were out for blood, and it's not just important that heads roll. It's important that important heads roll.
0: You're it, absolutely it, right.
1: You're absolutely right. Man. Like some grad assistant. Like it has to be, they're like, kids got fucked up the ass. Like Somebody's going down. everyone down.
0: Somebody's going down for it. Right. And it's got to be someone with some weight. Somebody important has to go down. And Joe Paul was the prime candidate. You know, he, this, when he was fired in 2011, it was his 61st year with Penn State as a coach, 61 years with the program. So he's had a long and storied career. Uh, And I think, you know, we we all knew he was planning to retire sometime in the near future. So I think the board of trustees immediately singled him out and said, listen, we've got this guy now who uh, is in his 80s. He is going to retire soon. He has built his legacy already. What's the harm in firing him? And everyone wants it. You know, people around the nation are calling for Joe Pott to go down for this. So we're going to do it. And uh, they did. Like I said, on November 9th, 2011, the board of trustees rejected Joe Paterno's disclosure of his retirement at the end of the season and immediately uh, terminated his contract with the university, um, removing the winningest coach in ncaa history uh from his football team and taking away a legend from not only the team but the fans and the students and the reaction um to the news at least among the students was not well received i could tell you firsthand um i was on campus when this all went down as as were so many others because we all knew um, that things were things were going to happen. Right. News had broken at this point already. And uh, the response would later be described as a riot. And it was um, many of us felt as though the media had forced the hand of the board of trustees into, um, you know, blaming Joe pa for this. It, it was the media coverage around it. So many people who do, knew nothing about Joe pa calling for Joe's head, I, you know. And I still don't know necessarily why Joe pa was was such a focus when the focus really should have been on the kids. But I get it. And like people wanted blood because these are these are the types of crimes that everyone fucking detests. Everybody hates this shit. It makes your stomach go in fucking knots when you hear that some sick bastard fucked a kid. I mean, it, it destroys all of us. So immediately we want revenge, and uh, and people called for Jopa's head, and the media fed it, and they took it, and the students rioted.
1: And and I mean, let's not. I mean, uh, let's. He is culpable in a, in a certain extent. I mean, he is one of the people that were complicit, and um, he did not contribute in my moral sense enough. He did not do enough to bring down a person. However, he's just one of a number of people. And I think what you're getting at, Pat, is that the severity of backlash or the severity of punishment was focused at Paterno because he was the most powerful figure at the school. And so the severity of what he faced was more to a number of people who were equally as culpable in um, this uh tragedy or covering up for a uh terrible criminal yeah you're right
0: tyler i mean so after several years of reflection right um like i said in the beginning of the episode i mean arrow for me for 22 years um so i've spent a long time thinking about his role in this and i agree You know, there is some level of accountability there, you know, as we later found out, you know, this wasn't the first time that Joe had heard about Jerry giving the funny business to some kid in the shower, you know, whatever. Greco Roman wrestling in the shower with a frigging 10 year old. Um, but Joe's whole thing was, listen, I'm a football coach. He reported it to Gary Schultz and Tim Curley. Gary Schultz was, uh, I believe the head of the, uh, university police and, uh, Tim Curley was the athletic director at the time. So he fired it up the food chain. He said, hey, guys, you know, there's a shit going on. These are the rumors that I'm hearing because he hadn't seen it himself. So he was passing along the information and he wiped his hands of it there. And to a certain extent, he had done what he was supposed to. Um, but Joe was so powerful that I, I do think he should have done more. Right. I mean, you when you hear that kind of stuff, you, you follow up on it. You know, you say, hey, did anything come of this? And of you guys look into this accusation? You know, it's not like he got accused of, uh, you know, sneaking into a concert. He got accused of banging a kid in the shower. Like, oh, uh, yeah, it's a big one.
2: Right. Le- legal, legally. See, my whole thing with it is, yes, Joe Paterno legally did what he was supposed to do. And. Pat, I kind of disagree with your point of using the I'm-just-a-football-coach defense Mm -hmm. because while Joe Paterno was a football coach, and in my opinion, if you're a football coach, you should kind of stay a football coach. I mean, he's done – not to discount all the good work that he's done, but the man had too much power, and the football team in general had too much power. So I think – kind of the way that his... I don't think it's as much that he was fired that kind of gets people upset. It's how he's fired. Um, oh, completely. It's, it's you know, it's, it's fucking knives in the night, man. It's, right. He got a quick phone call before it happened, and then... Um, it's to call a guy who served for
0: 61 years at your university in the middle of the night and go, hey, you're
2: fired. I mean, that's a freaking dick move. Right. Yeah, and and... So I think they're trying to send a message of, uh, you know, the board of trustees said to, uh, to the world, we fucked up and now we're firing the president and we're firing the guy that's the face of the football program, which is how this whole thing came to be. But Paterno was more than that. And I think he sold himself as more than just the football coach um shaper of men is a term i or uh get thrown around a lot um in relation to him and to me shapers of men don't just tell their boss that some guy was doing funny stuff with a kid in the shower and not follow up on it you he had a, a moral obligation he did and
0: i but i want to say this so and this is just for this particular instance and i want to i want to make that known right but for this particular instance that everyone knows about, you know, the McQuery one where Mike comes in and he says, hey, Jerry was wrestling in the shower with a kid. Joe was in his 80s. I mean, he was uh, he didn't he didn't have all his faculties about him, you know, no, early on in lot. his career. I do think he should have done more. Absolutely. First time this shit came out, you know, when, when he got wind of rumors about Jerry and some funny business. That's when you follow up on that shit and you make sure that that's clearly taken care of. But at this point, you know, I think a lot of us knew that Joe Paterno remained the head coach at Penn State at this point only because of who he was and the legacy that he had created. I mean, we knew we needed change, We knew there had to be some new blood in the organization. But how do you fucking fire Joe? Pa? Man, how do you fire Joe pa without some sort of incident like this? The man was losing his mental faculties, and he was in this position of power only because we refused to get rid of him earlier. Now, whether that's right or wrong, you know, that's up to you guys to decide. And when I say you guys, I mean the listeners. You figure it out for yourself whether or not, you know, Joe Posh should have remained his coach. But I think it's important to bear in mind that when this this came to light, uh, you know, whatever the second time or third or whatever time it was that it came to light for Joe Pa,
2: the man was very old. Yeah, yes, I do agree uh, with that, and and that's kind of what makes it um hard to I don't know seeing if the the Joe Pa of uh, you know when everything came out versus all the time before that are two different people. And I think it's it's easy to give him the benefit of the doubt as he was when America kind of learned about it. But to me, like, this had kind of been going on and he should have been speaking up earlier. Like, it shouldn't have even gotten to the McQueary incident in a perfect world obviously everybody missed this but stuff, so but.
0: so yeah jopa i think is a unique situation right because of the power that he had but that kind of begs another question then john of like what's everyone's responsibility like everybody's got their own sense of morals but if we're going to say that Joe Pa, you know should get fired and his head should be on the chopping block because he didn't follow up you know, does the guy at the liquor store who sees a you know father hit his son? Does he does he have to fucking call the cops and then call him again on Wednesday to make sure shit got sorted out? And you know how who's responsible right. for what? Where where's the line
2: drawn? No, no, you, and you, you are right. It, it it doesn't fall completely at Joe Paterno's feet, but I'm just saying that. I think Joe Paterno himself and definitely the public at large held him to a higher standard. And when you're that high, the fall from grace is even further. So that's
1: a good, that's a good point, John. I think it's a good way to kind of wrap, wrap up kind of what we were going at. Like we can debate for, for hours and hours um, about particulars. The thing is, is that whether or not, um, I mean, I can act like I am high and mighty and would do something, you know, very virtuous in the situation. And I don't know how I'd react in that situation, but I think us as a society came to agree that there needs to be something put into writing that this is how we treat these type of crimes from now on. And um, although um, Paterno um, received. Uh, a really harsh ending. Um, Sometimes when there are things swept under the rug for a long time, it's kind of like a balloon filling and filling and filling. And when everyone catches wind of what actually the world is like, there is a huge explosion. And sometimes there has to be somebody that takes it. There has to be someone that goes. I'm not saying Joe Paterno um, didn't deserve uh, what happened. I'm just saying that I think we all can agree that he was the focal point of the outrage for it. Um, and, uh, I think this this is a good opportunity to kind of focus on kind of what was, um, uh, the result of, um, after Sandusky got arrested and put into jail. Um, tragically we know what happened to uh, Joe Paterno uh, Pat can you just say what happened to Joe Paterno after his firing Joe was fired and a few months
0: later Joe died of uh lung cancer that had metastasized um you, you know i i've thought about it a, a lot and you know this is again just my opinion but i think uh, the firing really kind of um progressed the cancer i think joe kind of lost what he had always lived for and he essentially gave up but i I don't want to put that on the board of trustees
2: but they killed him i i would agree that he died of a broken heart pet
1: you know what and i just just like padme and revenge of the (laughs) Sith. here's the thing and that's funny you said that john but here's the thing i think that's true too like he, he did have lung cancer but this is what this man lived for. And I really do think that this ruined him. And um, I do think it, if it didn't kill him, it would, it contributed to uh, his body, not fighting back.
0: And it's such, it's such a greater shame too, because, because he died after it. Right. So the guy has this storied career has impacted tens of thousands and. You know, tens of thousands of lives directly as football players, hundreds of thousands, millions of lives as a role model. And then at the very end of his life, this whole fucking scandal breaks about one of his assistant coaches diddling kids, and he gets fired and dies a few months later. I mean, that's what he fucking goes out on? Are you kidding me? Like, he doesn't even have
1: the opportunity to put himself back into good graces before he kicks the bucket. And I think what's important here, uh, Pat, is that Right now, the sentiment that you're raising is for all of us. This is what we experienced um, by the thousands in Pennsylvania. Uh, So many people were just outraged. They're just saying, this man deserved better. This man did not deserve the way that he went down. And yes, this is complicated. And yes, this is murky. And yes, he wasn't a perfect man. But this is such a tragedy. That this is the way this man fell down and it broke the hearts. I've never seen so many grown men just grown men just their heart broken about the whole topic. And I've never seen more men talk about something that they can't talk about. Like they don't know how to talk about what they're talking about. And it's been and still continues to be a really tough area to, to discuss. Um, absolutely right man you're
0: absolutely right this is something that was felt across pennsylvania and um you know for the alumni across the nation and the world it it was a passionate and a heartfelt moment and uh it's still very difficult to talk about i still you know as you can tell i still get a little fired up about it man it's uh, it's a very important thing to a
1: lot of people so can i uh if you can uh uh, forgive me here uh, if i can talk a little bit about some of the legal ramifications that happened afterwards
0: please do so please do
1: um so i worked in child welfare um i worked in uh management essentially i was like an office manager assistant to the admin of a county social work agency uh so i kind of got to see firsthand of some of the ramifications that went into it i had a a big hand in the hiring process. Now, not choosing candidates, but all the paperwork, I I was right in there. I I saw everything, um, and I dealt with it. So um, right after this time, around 2014, I want to say, I think it it went into law 2015, but around around that time, they're introducing all of this legislation. So the big uh, legislative bill was uh, the CPSL law just the Child Protective Services law. Um, And what that brought about was a a number of major changes in the way that um, uh, schools and um, any basically environment that involves a child, um, the way that they hire and everything like that. So uh, one of the main main things impacted was a mandated reporter. So mandated reporters are... Uh, people that are legally bound by the law to report a crime if they see it. So before the um, uh, Sandusky, what, what they call it is the post-Sandusky era is that I worked in, but um, before Sandusky, a mandated reporter might be uh, a doctor or might be your teacher. But after Sandusky, it became the mandated reporter definition expanded drastically to include like the assistant coach of your junior varsity hockey team, or like the dental assistant at your local dentist. Um, And all this regulation, all of this um, new requirements, what it did was it made social workers have a lot more paperwork. And with that paperwork basically meant that their hours extended, they had a lot more work to do. And also, since there's a lot more mandated reporters overnight, uh, you had a bunch of people now that were really paranoid that they were going to be the next Sandusky or the next person like a paterno that was complicit in a crime. So they're really paranoid that they would uh, face some legal ramification like paterno did. So there was an overreporting of a lot of crimes. People would think they would see a little scratch or a little something like kids get bruised and stuff all the time. And what we, what we faced was a lot of um, referrals on things that ended up not being anything at all. Uh, We call them one and dones. You have a referral to an accused abuse and you go and you look at it once and you see that it's not an abuse and then you close the, the, the case or whatever. But what happens is you have to investigate every single one of those referrals. And basically uh, the caseworkers at a child welfare agency um, had their caseloads just drastically increase, o- almost overnight. And as a result, they're seeing kids less and they already are underpaid. And when I started at the agency, um, there were workers that have been there for years and years and years. And by the time I left the agency last year, like the average rate of turnover was just only a couple years. People would only work there a couple years. And as a result of uh, this post-Sandusky era, um, right now, child welfare is in crisis. You have kids coming out of college with not much life experience. It's a lot of young people who are working these positions who are in charge of the safety of children. Um, And they have so much work and Something that really bothered me when I worked there was kind of the self-righteousness of um, our uh, legislators. So after the Sandusky thing happened, the public called for people's heads and to the legislators, they wanted uh, laws. So what our legislators did was they did that. They gave all this legislation very quickly, but they didn't look at how to actually put that um, properly into practice. So when you create all these laws and all these regulations, what you need to do is you need to increase funding and you need to allow the child welfare agencies to hire more people. And uh, when you have a state like Pennsylvania um, that is more conservative, um, our uh, legislature is controlled by Republicans. And um, at the time we had uh, a Republican uh, governor, now we have a Democrat governor. But um, Republicans or conservatives usually uh, want limited government, so they don't want to expand government. But when you increase regulations, you need to add more funding and you need to have agencies with more workers in order to do the work of that. So basically you had uh, Republican Congress um, increasing regulation, but not wanting to increase the size of government, not wanting to add positions to it. So, um, basically it was these legislators being righteous saying we passed these laws, but really they were making, uh, child welfare, uh, less safe because you were overworking, uh, workers and you weren't giving them funding. Um, and they didn't have time to actually see their kids. And I think it was, was I, I don't mean to rant on it too much, but, um, it was a difficult time, uh, because, uh, Workers were really, really stressed, and they had extra work, and the new regulations weren't properly funded, and it actually was the opposite effect on childhood safety.
0: Yeah, and I think, so, just keeping with kind of the theme of the the converse effect that these regulations had, um, and, you know, you guys could – provide your own input here because I think it would be good to hear from you but I, in my opinion I think even further uh and you touched on it earlier Tyler it took people who would normally be willing to fill some of these volunteer positions you know your average joe who's willing to coach his son's little league team and it made them shy away from doing things like that because of uh you know two factors one it's a very lengthy and annoying process to go through getting all these clearances just so you can coach a little league baseball team. And two Tyler, like you said, guys are scared that some kids going to say he touched me funny, whether you did or not. And all of a sudden the shit's going to hit the fan. Your name's in the paper as an alleged child abuser. And you know, it could be life ruining. And I know that's an extreme case of it, but, You know, that kind of shit does happen. And I think guys are scared that that's going to happen. So they shy away from doing those jobs. And what that does is it opens up the opportunity for the predators who are ready and willing to go through those background checks to to get into these positions of power now. And it takes away guys who would do this in a wholesome manner who just want to help out. And it provides even more opportunity for these sick bastards to get in
1: there and and take those jobs. Well, what I think you're getting at is that um, uh, clearances only uh, clear out uh, predators who have been caught before. Right. So every single child molester or sexual criminal out there um they will pass every single clearance until they are caught of a crime so and uh, because guess- they their needs drive their needs drive them getting these
0: positions too like if they know they can pass the background checks they're more likely to go get into these positions whereas your average guy is going to go i don't got time for all that bullshit and because You know, he's not driven by the need to dental little kids. He's not going to deal with it because he doesn't have the time or he's afraid that he's going to get convicted of some of this shit. Whereas some child molester who knows he's going to pass is going to jump through the hoops so that he can get the opportunity to, you know, give shower
1: hugs. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. And um, basically, um, you can tell I kind of fired up. I got earlier um, about uh, just the state of child welfare and how it's impacted by... Uh, Jerry Sandusky and um, just kind of how the public um, wanted they wanted something to happen and they didn't know what how to properly support child welfare agencies. So basically, I just wanted to say that like I witnessed a lot of people that I worked with that were all they wanted to do, and a lot of them is their life's work was just to help protect children. And they were just thrown into the lion's den. Um, almost overnight. Um, that might be hyperbole, but almost overnight. And when they were in over their heads, they weren't su- supported by uh, the very same people that were telling them how to do their job. And it was really heartbreaking. Um, it was some of the best people that I've ever met that just want to help little kids. And uh, they were really thrown into the lines then and continue to There have been some some changes that are good, but still, uh, child welfare isn't in a good state. Uh, It really breaks my heart. Yeah. No, absolutely, man.
0: I I feel for you. It really is a shame. So,
2: we're at an hour
0: now. I think it's important that we continue on with this. So, you know, we're going to have a little bit longer of a podcast this week, guys. And I apologize for that. And I hope that you continue to listen with us. But this is a, a contentious topic. It's a... A murky topic, and it's one that's very, um, you know, powerful and passionate for the three of us. Um, so we just recently had the HBO film Paterno by Al Pacino come out, and I that helped to bring, uh, you know, more of the public into awareness of what went on, and I think it helped to shape some views. So, John, from an outsider's perspective, someone who didn't grow up in a Penn State household, you know, intimately involved with the child welfare system. How'd you feel about the film? What what did you think of it from you know one a film perspective, and two, what were some of your takeaways on the whole scandal
2: and who was culpable, who was not, and, and that
0: kind of jazz?
2: Right. Um, well, I uh, I enjoyed this movie. I felt that uh, Pacino does a good job as Paterno, uh, sporting a great fake nose, and <laughs> I did, I did enjoy it. Um, but I don't know that people outside Pennsylvania maybe m- might not get as much out of it as I did. Um, uh, there was a lot—not a lot of parts, but there were some parts that were shot um, in downtown Harrisburg, pl- near places where I used to work. Uh, Tyler and Mines uh, High School makes a, a small appearance. Wait, wait. John- so this.
1: I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have a really strong opinion about our high school's involvement. So if you will let me later bitch about that for a second.
2: Uh, Okay, you you can have the floor right now. Okay,
1: so uh, in in the story, um, basically uh, the, the, the newspaper outlet that broke the story initially and won the Pulitzer Prize for their work was the Patriot News out of Harrisburg. So even though this is a state college story the Harrisburg newspaper broke it. So they showed a lot of clips in in Harrisburg. But at one point um, in the story, there is a child that is a victim of Jerry Sandusky. And he's really struggling with it, with, you know, obviously the trauma that he faced. And they show a picture of our high school, Central Dolphin East High School, and then they go into the story of this kid at in school in class and he gets bullied by like these kids and they like like chase him down to beat him up and i think they call him uh, faggot they call him the, the, the bad f word i'm sorry for saying it but they do they do call him that and um and they and his school they show a banner it's central mountain high And i'm like why did you show my high school if you're going to make it like this made up high school or, or if it is a real high school, like, why are you doing that? Like, that really paints CD East just out of nowhere as this, like, school of, like... Fag bashers. Exactly. Like, I'm like <laughs> who the hell are you, HBO? to just show a picture of our school? No.
2: Uh, see, I, I was very proud that we made an appearance. Um, is a fag basher and loves it. Uh, well, I didn't go that far. Um, That's not on the record that I said that. But... Um, <laughs> they uh i don't know i just uh i get what you're saying i felt that that was more just uh hey we're driving around at harrisburg let's get some b-roll of that high school and then we'll see if we need it for anything um but we were not but
1: to that story and they just if they're going to include a high school why are they picking a picture of our high school if you're going to make like a fictional high school hub right well,
0: i don't think they maliciously picked CD East, but i mean john I don't know that it was necessarily random either. Like, how often during the filming of a movie are they like, hey, let's just have some kids run down the right. hall"? No, you No, you're right. We'll if we throw but this but I, don't,
2: I don't think it was any conscious decision on the the filmmaker's part. Um, <laughs> I more thought that – my I took more umbrage with the fact that, like, that storyline didn't really go anywhere. Um, and, yeah. Which kind of brings me to, like, a bigger point of, like, I don't know if this is a great – movie um it's an interesting story but i don't know if like just because you have an interesting story doesn't mean that that automatically makes it a good movie uh, i thought parts of it were sloppily written as far as the narrative um but this movie really affected me um I, and i think it was you know it's the it's a very local story, even though it was a worldwide story when it broke, it's, it's still to us, like we've said, very personal. Um, and it made me really reassess what I thought about the whole thing. Um, when I was, uh, like 17, 18, picking a college, I thought that Penn state was the bro school in Pennsylvania. And I was very anti bro at that point in my life. Um, uh, uh, a belief that I've become less staunch in over the years but about Penn
0: State I, or your love of bros
2: my hate of bros and uh, I hate bros less and I like Penn State more I'll put it that way But Woo! I kind of thought, I, I thought that this is what happens when you make pe- football god and uh, Penn State made that bed and now they kind of have to lie on lie in it you haven't as uh sympathetic to the whole thing but now you know i kind of hadn't thought about that in five six years since it happened and i kind of you know it's a very like most things in life it's not black or white it's there's there's a gray area in the middle and i don't know it just kind of made me think about you know A terrible thing that happened and you know looking at it with with a fresh set of eyes after you know being older and uh a little bit wiser um but what did you uh, i'm interested to see what you guys thought about the movie and uh maybe how you felt everything was portrayed as far as you know uh culpability thing i didn't think they made paterno look that bad um I think they made him more look like a confused old man than a uh, cunning master of deception. Um, But what do you guys think? Yeah, like,
1: uh, they definitely, and they kept repeating this, they were just like, yeah, so, like, your assistant coach, one of your close confidants has been accused of, like, raping a bunch of boys. And he was just like, ah, we don't really know about that, like, no, people are really upset about this. And he's like, ah, I don't really know, what, what, really? And and I really think, like, they kept on emphasizing that, like, Joe Paterno didn't understand the gravity of the situation. And I I don't know what he was like in real life, but I think he understood the freaking gravity of the situation at the time. But um, I don't know. Pat, do you think that uh, Joe Pah thought this whole thing would, like, go away overnight?
0: I really struggle with that, man. I really do, because
1: I sincerely
0: believe that Joe Pa was like, I focus on football. That's my job. I'm concerned about the football program. That's my job. You guys figure out the other shit. I don't even want to think about it. I, I don't want to be involved in it. You guys figure it out. Whether that's right or wrong is a different topic, but I think they portrayed him accurately in that – you know, I don't want to say he didn't give a shit about what was going on, but he didn't want to focus on it. He was like, hey, man, I I want to focus on continuing to win. I want to focus on continuing to develop excellent football players and excellent young men. And I don't want to get myself involved with these allegations of child rape, no matter who's doing it. I don't want to be involved in it. It ain't my job. Now, I, I think morally... That is wrong. I think it kind of is his job after so many people come up at because, again, like we said, this isn't the first time that he heard about this. It's not the first time that several people heard about this. Um, You know, we now have evidence of emails that were exchanged back and forth, and that's highlighted in the the show or the, the movie rather a little bit. Um, these guys knew people had made these claims before. So for Joe pot to continue to stick his head in the sand over and over and over again, I think is wrong. And that's the conclusion that I personally have come to. Again, we made this statement at the beginning of the episode. I'll state it again. These are just our opinions. This is a very contentious topic for many of us in Pennsylvania. And I know that several people are going to disagree with me. About this, but I think it was wrong for Joe to continue to stick his head in the ground. I think that he was so powerful within Pennsylvania and he had heard it so many goddamn times that, you know, eventually you got to go. All right, man. Well, shit, this is the fifth person that said to me, Jerry's plugging this kids, but I better go look into this. You know, I get the first time that he's like, oh, it's an accusation. It's a rumor. I don't want to go run into the cops and you know, get uh, a longtime friend of mine, you know, shaken down by the cops for one of the most heinous crimes that could possibly be committed based on some rumor. I mean, John, I certainly wouldn't go run into the cops and throw you under the freaking bus. If somebody was like, hey, I saw John touch a little kid's butt, I'd be like, one, uh, I don't know that I believe you. Two, I think I'd come to you and I'd be like, bro, somebody's saying something about this. I wouldn't go just turn you into the cops right away.
2: Right. Well, 10th Person
0: who tells me, I'd be like, okay.
2: This right. Fool, for, for me once. I'm not gonna fool right. me again. Um. Yeah, yeah well, but at the same can... time,
1: if like if, if the the thing that you're being accused of, you're at the head of like the hub of it. I'm trying to think of the, a, a good analogy, and I can't think of a better analogy other than, um, if. I was somebody that was accused of raping at-risk youth, and I was the head of an at-risk youth charity. Like, I you should be, you should look into me more. And um, yeah, but
0: Tyler, we already know you shook those charges in 2010. So why are we going to try again?
1: <laughs> Gotta roll the dice. No, that's, that, Okay, and to be serious though, like, right. My problem with Paterno is I I think there was a lot of wrongdoing, obviously. He was complicit. He should have done more morally, even though it wasn't illegal, he should have done more. But the fact that this guy that was accused of these things, he was still at the head of a major organization with at-risk youth. You have to look into it more. Like, he's around a bunch of kids who are at the organization because they are abused and nobody cares about them. And that's why central uh, charities like that are needed to show that they are cared for and loved. And uh, I, that's my problem with it is that they were just like, oh, uh, we'll sweep this under the rug and we'll allow you to continue your exposure to a bunch of at-risk youths on our grounds. like. That really was right, the cherry on right. it.
0: Right, So, yeah, no, completely agree, dude. Like I said, I get the first time him saying, okay, I'm not going to necessarily run to the cops on this. Somebody should look into it. I don't want to call the cops on it. But the, the second, third, fourth, fifth time, yeah, you got to look into it, man. You, you do have – some accountability there to make sure that this shit gets investigated and that if these crimes are, you know, if these rumors are true, that this guy goes down for him. But let's not also forget Joe is not the only guy in town, man. There are several other people that knew about this. Mike McQuarrie, for instance, he went to Joe Paw. If he personally witnessed Jerry Sandusky assaulting a child, he went home. He thought about it for a day. He talked to his dad. Okay. I can understand that. Like I said, nobody knows how they're going to react in that situation. And and you react completely differently to child molestation than you would to, you know, a gunshot wound in the middle of the street. Right. I get that. He, too, could have called the effing cops. He, too, could have chased that stuff down. You know, Gary Schultz could have gone to the cops several times. Graham Spanier, who later was convicted and did de- deservingly did jail time could have gone to the cops and done more. And the, cop, the, cops and done more. Right. the janitor who saw him plug in the kids, butt could have gone to the cops and done more. There are so many people right. that they- saw this and could have done more that I think everybody focuses on Joe Bob, which yes, he was a figurehead. Yes. He had a shitload of power and he could have put a stop to this. Yes, he heard about it multiple times, but so did a dozen other, a dozen other right. people. Grim a- everybody arguably it. had as much, if not more, power than Joe Paterno at the time in that town.
2: Ev- everybody missed it. That's kind of the the through line through here, and that's something that they um, kind of bring up in the movie. Um, the uh, girl who's the reporter for the Patriot News uh, meets with a child psychologist of one of the. Um, Uh, children that came forward um, and testified against uh, Sandusky and he says I have no idea why anybody's talking about Joe Paterno in any of this they there's so many people that missed it teachers and lawyers and judges and the police and you know I'm sure there were parents that that missed uh, some things and it's really this whole thing of everybody missed it And I think part of it is maybe Paterno's age, and meaning that more of like he's from a different generation. I'm sure the first time he heard this, he couldn't wrap his head around it because you didn't, things
1: like this weren't common knowledge. They weren't, he didn't know what the word sodomy was, right? He didn't know what the word sodomy was. And they hit on that in the book Paterno
0: as well. Like, that is fact. Like, he had to ask his kids what sodomy was. Now, did he probably conceptually know, like, what it was? Yes, but he didn't know what that word meant. He didn't know that's what you called it. And, John, to your point, the the era that he grew up in and the era that he, you know, developed into a man in, nobody talked about this shit. I don't want to say it didn't go on because it absolutely did. But it didn't get the same level of publicity that it does now. You know, it wasn't like it was household discussion about child molestation, you know, in the time that he grew up. So I could see how he would not want to be involved, how he would kind of just shake this off and go like, ooh, icky, I don't want to be a part of this.
2: Right, right. Um, Pat, would you, um, or Tyler, but uh, specifically more to Pat, would you... Recommend this movie for a Penn State fan. Uh,
0: I want I want everyone to see it, yeah, because I want them to be able to form their own opinion of it. Um, if you're the kind of person that likes to fly off the handle about shit, I would say no. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily paint Paterno in a negative light, as as far as like the child rape stuff goes. But it does make him look like a, a fool. It makes him look like a blubbering idiot who just, like, doesn't know anything.
2: Right. That that Paterno, I wondered how he ever won a national championship.
0: Yeah, you look at him, and you're like, well, one, you don't know what soccer means. But two, he's like, blah, 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 the whole time. He's like, oh, right, football, football. Like, he just – it appears as though he is incapable of thinking beyond
2: football. Right, right. And that uh, – Tyler
1: yeah go ahead and that's that is what that was one of the artistic intents of whoever was the director of that uh film really wanted to put forth and in that they made him look a bit incompetent in general now maybe they could say for his age and all that but um he's the winningest coach in ncaa history how is that incompetent i I, yeah i agree Uh, and uh (laughs) yeah i'm just i'm sorry i'm uh, yeah Uh, Sounds like you're. Did
2: he get those wins back?
1: Yeah. So I we glossed over that. So something I wanted to uh, talk about was that um, the administration and part of the reason they um, just threw the book at like Paterno just fired everyone right away was because they acknowledged that it was really wrong and like uh, their university was a systemic contributor to something bad happening, and they wanted to. Just move to make a new day and move forward. And as a result, they accept. So basically, the NCAA threw everything at them. Like the amount of uh, what was it, sanctions. With is now, you can say that you know they it, it should have gotten worse, but it was really tough sanctions. They um, put the school on five years of probation, four year postseason ban. They vacated all the wins from uh, nineteen ninety eight to two thousand eleven. Uh, One hundred
0: twelve wins. One
1: hundred twelve. Six hundred million. Sorry, sixty million uh, dollar fine. The loss of all scholarships given. A uh, forty initial scholarships given between twenty thirteen to twenty seventeen, um, and. Now they
0: crippled the program, man. I, yeah. I mean, they, they crippled the Penn State football program.
1: Now, now, and, and this is something that is really contentious about Penn State fans, so I'm gonna like cut you off, Pat, here for a minute. Um, but uh, now, now some of these san- uh, sanctions were uh rescinded later on. Now, granted, Penn State accepted all of them right away. Um, they said yes, we'll take whatever and we'll go. Now, um, some. Let's see what uh, came back in. Uh, the scholarships were uh, restored. Um, that was something that was kind of tough on me. I was like, well, th- these are just kids trying to play football like at-, at a school who can't afford it or would struggle to afford it, and they're suffering because of other people's mistakes. Um, Absolutely. And even further, it's a school that
0: focuses on the education of its student-athletes. It's not like it took away scholarships from Miami. From the U, you right. know what I mean? I mean, you're talking about an 85% graduation rate under
1: Joe Paterno, and they're taking those scholarships away.
0: I'm sorry, Tyler. Go ahead. Well, yeah. And,
1: um, uh, I believe that uh, the wins have been reinstated since that. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Nope, they did. 2005, they gave them back. 2015, you mean? Or 2015. Yeah, sorry. Um, and, um, the, the school has been able to bounce back pretty well. And I think that uh, the president at the time, the new president was really criticized for accepting everything. But I think that is part of the reason why they've uh, reinstated or rescinded some of the sanctions is that Penn state, although they, you know, um, say what you will about how they handled um, Joe Paterno, but they really accepted everything and they wanted to take a step in the right direction. Um, And, uh, as a result, um, I know I was saying before our child welfare isn't in the greatest state, but it's moving in the right direction and it's getting the funding and stuff like that. And this can only come out of a a tragic situation. Unfortunately, that's just how humanity is. It, it, we need something awful, awful to happen. Not just kind of bad, but really awful. to light fire under our asses to get our legislators to, to do things and to create a culture that is more responsible and unfortunately not only did heads have to roll for it but really important heads have to roll people aren't just out for blood they're out for important blood and that's what happened in this situation
2: that's the american way we never do anything proactively no some really really bad shit has to happen for a really long time and then you finally do something about it unless it's guns
1: then they just leave it alone for some reason and when you're part of a, a large society culture that is complicit, you, you focus it on your figureheads or whoever is there at the time. And, you know, um, this, the administration and, you know, Joe Paterno, they are culpable, culpable in a certain way. But I, I would say, in my opinion, that they received the full blast of the punishment or the anger. Um, when really, as a society, we um, had systems in place that were, um, that allowed people to be complicit and allowed kids to, um, you know, uh, have their safety at risk. But um, from this tragedy, you know, it lit a fire under people's ass and it has allowed change to happen. Um, so there, there is, you know, good that comes from it. Um, unfortunately, when massive change happens... Um, we, us as just humans, we don't like the way that it happens, but sometimes that thing, bad things have to happen to, to people that we adore for, um, good change to happen. And even though it wasn't the way that we wanted it to happen, um, I feel like this is a, a good, uh, uh, shift in our culture and our legislation. I, I know that's, uh, you know, uh, an edgy stance to have, I support, legislation to protect kids, but you get what I'm saying. Um, it was a tough and messy process, but I, you know I do think that, that um, it, we are moving in the right direction as far as uh, child welfare and uh, protecting kids.
0: John, do you have anything you want to uh, say on that before we start to close it out here? We're coming up on an hour and a half, and I just have a couple of things that I think the listeners should hear before we wrap up.
2: Uh, just that um, society uh, society is kind of like Tyler said, we, you have to have the bad before you have the good, and you would hope that things just kind of like you overcorrect, but then you get back in the right spot, um, but that doesn't always happen right away yeah no i completely un- agree
0: unfortunately um you know we are a nation that requires wrong in order for us to make right but um so so i think we covered our opinions on the university the role that joe Pa played uh the culpability of everyone involved in it the impact that it had on uh joe Pa and the student body and the football team and the NCAA's reaction to it. Uh, a couple of things that we didn't touch on that uh, are on the more fun side, if there is such a thing, of <laughs> something like this, uh, for our viewers or rather our listeners to look into is um, some conspiracy stuff, some of the fun shit. Uh, Ray Grickar, Center County District Attorney, 1985 to 2005 declined to press charges in 1998 against jerry sandusky was he when he was alleged to have committed sexual assault and abuse of a child ray was found uh or ray went missing in uh 2009 um belfont police found his car uh, and uh, or rather, Lewisburg police found his car and his cell phone in it. His laptop washed up in the Susquehanna River, and Ray has not been found to this day. So uh, you know, the question still kind of stands: um, What did Ray know, and why did he go missing? Was uh, this a part of the whole Sandusky thing? Was it not? Did Ray just want to ditch his wife and kids? Did he commit suicide, or uh, was he you know killed for? Um, the purpose of silence and that kind of feeds into something else that I wanted to touch on if you really want to ruin your day kids look into the Franklin Credit Union um this is an alleged and I only say alleged because no one's been convicted um child prostitute ring that was centered in Omaha Nebraska um there is an excellent podcast known as Less Podcast on the left that touches on this and uh, I believe there's Satanism in the government um Episodes, but ultimately, what it is is uh, Larry King, um, not the uh, late night news commentator, talk show host, no, right, 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 the, the giant nose, uh, not him. It's a black guy named Larry King who ran the Franklin Credit Union in Omaha, Nebraska, apparently, headed up this child prostitution ring. Uh, that was frequented by uh, prominent people, not only in Omaha, Nebraska, but apparently U.S. politicians. And uh, there's one individual, and I don't know his name, uh, unfortunately, offhand, uh, but he was a private investigator that dedicated uh, his adult life to investigating this child prostitution ring and trying to see to it that these uh, individuals uh, get the justice that is deserved. Uh, And he made note several times that Jerry Sandusky was involved in this. So we're talking 1980s. This guy is calling out Sandusky being involved in a nationwide child prostitution ring run out of Omaha, Nebraska. Now, you could believe it if you want, you could not. I encourage you to do the research on your own and form your own opinions. But I thought those are uh, two kind of, uh, like I said, fun. Uh, little tidbits to end us on for you more conspiracy minded uh, listeners who want to do a little digging and uh, like to believe that there's some invisible
2: hand at work here. See, I would think that those two things are related since um, the D.A. decided not to press charges, but then he turns up missing. So, like, what else did he know? Because, like, you what did think... the president know and when did he know? It, <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, you would think that, oh, someone's going to kill me. So I'm not going to bring these charges. I don't bring the charges. Everything's cool. But then shit happens. Right. Right. He doesn't press
0: charges and they go, yeah, he didn't press charges. That's great. But he still has all this evidence against us. Right. So one of the things uh, about his laptop washing up on shore, no hard drive. And also the Belfont police, which is why I mentioned Belfont earlier, Um, Later, I believe it was 2009, released some information uh, about some Internet searches that came off of uh, Ray's home computer about how to destroy a hard drive or how to wreck a hard drive. Um, So Ray was looking to destroy this information and then shortly later goes missing. That thing washes up in the Susquehanna River. His car is found in Lewisburg, abandoned with his cell phone in it and a few other personal items. And Ray's never seen again. So what was on that computer? Good question. All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for joining me as we talked about this. Like I said, I know it's a sensitive subject. Um, it's unpleasant to talk about, and it elicits a lot of emotion from a lot of people, especially here in Pennsylvania. Um, but I really thank you guys for joining me as uh, you know, we wade through this quagmire bullshit and child rape and nasty stuff in order to bring it all to the surface and make sure that people know about it and uh you know anybody serving in somerset uh you know i can't legally say that you should do anything to sandusky but hey wink wink nudge nudge uh all right that's gonna wrap us up for this week thanks a lot guys and uh join us next week on Potsylvania for some more Spanny talk all right talk to you later